Bonjour. I'm Terrence Galenter, your American friend in Paris, coming to you almost live and almost every week from Café Terrence in Paris's Troisième Arrondissement. This program is being sponsored by a generous contribution from the Billy Cohn Collection. My guest today is David Tepfer, uh, author of a beautiful new book called Shikoku. Excuse my Japanese pronunciation. Uh, David is a retired biologist, uh, a champion cycler, uh, producer or part partner in the production of Dan Tepfer, an internationally acclaimed classical and jazz pianist and composer, and the uh, the, the husband of uh, the beautiful and irreplaceable Becky Tepfer. Uh, for those of you in America who may not know uh, much about David and, and, and Becky, uh, they operated and created the Atelier de la Main d'Or in the 12th arrondissement as a haven for singers, musicians, uh, primarily classical musicians, and over, over the many, many years that they've operated this program, uh, brought immense joy to uh, all of us here in the city of Paris. I think it's important to understand that in the context to appreciate the book we're going to talk about today. The, uh, Becky was a mezzo-soprano with the Paris Opera. Uh, I've been told that in the Guinness Book of Records, she has performed Sister Sarah in Guys and Dolls more times than anyone else in the world. And if you want to dispute that, Mr. Guinness, uh, call me in Paris or email me at terrence at paris-expat.com. David, a uh, wonderful book. I, I read it uh, in, in one sitting. I started reading it early in the evening and, and went right through it. So uh, hats off. Who knew? I didn't. Yeah, who knew that you had this talent? You have a, a, a very, very uh, easy and comfortable voice. I really felt that you were talking to me. Hmm. Uh, this book centers on a lot of things, uh, beginning with, uh, with cycling. But I, I guess to go back and put things in perspective, uh, you and Becky were married for how many years? Fifty-two. So you were you were sticking her pigtails in the inkwell in in elementary school in uh, in Oregon. Roller skating together when we were eight. Astonishing. She's a great, an amazing person. So when did when did you start cycling? Because in this in this book you're you're, you're cycling basically all over Japan. It would seem. Yeah, we've covered Japan, seven seven long trips. Uh, this is just one trip on the island of Shikoku which is uh, the fourth in size of the four large islands. And it's, it's, uh, it's a site for pilgrimages in, for the Japanese because uh, Kobo Daishi set up uh, over a thousand years ago, set up, uh, set up a series of temples. And there are 88 temples that people visit on foot on bicycle, by car, by bus, and it's it's an important thing in, for the Japanese to to do this pilgrimage. And with, Is this pilgrimage include all 88 stops? Yeah, 88 stops. You do it on feet, foot, it's about 1,500 kilometers. It's, it's, it's a major thing. And we didn't make an effort uh, when we cycled Shikoku to see all 88 or to follow the, the path, but we visited many of the temples in the process of, of cycling Shikoku. And it, it's definitely a, a spiritual island. It's got, um, it's, it's isolated. And so it's got a lot of, lot of traditional architecture. Uh, it doesn't really have any major cities. Uh, there are small cities, which are nice. Um, 
And so population density is low in Shikoku, which is uh, very good for cycling. That's what you want. Was, was that your primary uh, motivation to go, to cycle, or were you interested already in, in Japanese culture? Oh, this was this was about halfway through this this series of trips. So we were both of us very interested in Japanese culture for a long time and cycling in Japan. So we were quite used to doing this. Were you 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 didn't cycle up the snow clad Mount Hood as a child? No, but walked it, walked it and skied it. And skied it. Mm-hmm. it oh, when did you first come? To, well, first let's go back. When did you first come to Paris? Uh, first came in '64. As a teenager, and uh, my father was doing a sabbatical. He was a professor, and we bounced. The family bounced back and forth quite a bit over the years, and Becky and I came here in '78 and stayed. Came for one year and stayed. But you had you had a job here. I had a. I was a postdoc, so I was a scientist, and I had a one year job. But then I got a second year job, and then I got a permanent job. And in the meantime, Becky had gotten into the uh, Paris Opera Chorus. So we both had jobs, and then we could uh, have a baby. <laughs> they don't can afford to have a baby in Paris in those days. Uh, you couldn't afford to have a baby anywhere in the science world and the wow. uh, in the singer world. The uh, jobs are were and still are very uh, iffy things. And until you got a permanent job, you just bounced. That's still the case. It's terrible. And so we were in our mid thirties when Danny was born. Because there was no there was no money to have a stable environment for a child until we got the jobs here, and you know why uh, why did you stay and what is it about Paris that you found so so attractive? Uh, Paris Paris was a love affair that started when I was seventeen, and the, the contrast from Eugene, Oregon, was so extraordinary that you just you just couldn't stop blinking. And it never finished. Paris is all, I still don't understand vast things about Paris, France, and the French. And so it's, it's a continuous adventure. Aesthetically, it's, it's probably the most beautiful city in the world. And uh, this neighborhood is particularly attractive. And, uh, well, you're near, you're near the Bastille and the, and the Marché d'Aligue, which you frequent six days a week. It's closed on Sunday to, to give them a rest from you, I presume. Uh, yeah, the Marche d'Aligre uh, is um, is a big attraction here. But the people, it's the people. I think that's the, the density, very high density. The people in this particular arrondissement? Or the All over in Paris. And different okay. parts of Paris have different people. I particularly like this neighborhood. And we, we imprinted on this neighborhood. Um, and the return has been very rich for us. Also, Paris is ideally located for cycling. I was out yesterday. Uh, first day of spring and uh, just did a half day 60 60 some kilometers uh, in just pop the bike on the train time to read a newspaper pop the bike out and ride all day and where'd you go you were 60 minutes out uh, I was at, started near Moray sur Loin, southeast mm-hmm. and finished in Etampes and did a lot of zigzagging and and the amazing thing is we've been riding Becky and I have been doing this kind of riding with the train for we did uh, almost 40 years of that. Wow. And it was um, all, most of it centered in this area I was in yesterday. And except for the last 10 kilometers, I was on new roads yesterday. It's just the density of secondary roads is, is very high. And so you can, you, can do a, you can do a trip and keep going the same place and you've got a completely new trip. So, uh... Like yourself, I, I love being in Paris for, for many, many reasons. And 
in in spite of COVID, I found ways to cope and keep a very upbeat perspective and, and appreciate the, the beauty uh, of the city. But I, I must complain, uh, talking about bicycle bicyclists, uh, one of the, the good and the bad things of the COVID thing is that now people are actually riding bicycles more frequently in the city. And they have no respect for the laws that normally go, govern uh, transportation. You have two lanes coming in the what used to be a, almost, I don't know, it's a separate lane that's been created now. And bikes will go in opposite directions. And uh, when you, uh, I was taught as a child, you look left and you look right. Cars don't bother me. Except the bicyclists don't pay any attention to these rules. So if you're coming to, to Paris and haven't been here in a while, uh, you don't have to wear a helmet when you walk the streets. But be damn careful that you look left and right, both for cars and for bicycles. That being said, I have nothing against bicyclists. Yeah, but I don't ride in Paris anymore. I've quit. So you have the same fear that I have. Well, I busted my shoulder on a bicycle lane right, because right. of another cyclist. My point They're out of their minds. Yeah. So I, I, I bike in the countryside. Do you remember the first uh, bicycle trip you took uh, in, in Europe? Yeah, the first one was uh, after Becky and I had spent uh, three and a half months hitchhiking from Paris all the way all the way around the northern Mediterranean through Crete and then back and through Yugoslavia and then back in southern France and Spain, across Spain, and then back hitchhiking and camping to Paris. And we still had a week left. So we rented some really crappy bicycles, but they were fine. And we headed off and uh, cycled Normandy. Wonderful. It was late August, so the corn was ripe. Corn was ripe, the cheese was there, the calvados, the apples. So we were had ripe. a little camping stove and we would camp near a cornfield and we would just eat the. It was field corn, but if you got it when it was before it got really tough, it was fine. Well, this was designed for cows. Yeah, but it was. Right you now. can eat field corn when it's young. Well, we've had here, uh, here in the neighborhood uh, at the uh, Dead League, we've had ears of corn that were delightful. I thought mm -hmm. I was back in New Jersey in August when we sat there. Let's, uh, let's talk uh, about the book a little bit. Uh, Shikuku. She, she which is the first of four, I believe. It's the smallest of the four big islands. No, the the book. <laughs> oh, sorry. But, yeah, but continue. Describe the. Uh, well, mention the seven islands. Let's learn something this morning. Uh, no, there 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 are millions of islands in Japan. There's nothing but islands. Okay. And uh, this the this is the fourth of the big ones. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's quite isolated. It's it's disconnected because it's it's geographically north yeah, south. It, it's in the middle, okay. but it's it's uh, it's in the area of Osaka, Kyoto, Kensai, and that area is uh, bordered by Shikoku on the Pacific side, and the other side by Honshu. So Shikoku is to the south and to the uh, east, and it creates between these two. It creates the inland sea the Seto Sea, and there are 700 islands in the Seto Sea. And to get to Shikoku in the book, the book starts out, actually starts in New York, but it, they, our protagonists get to Shikoku via the Shimanami Kaido, which is a wonderful bicycle experience that's, that you start on one side and you can just rent a bike and do that. And uh, it, you, you island hop on a, on a prescribed path and the islands are connected by by bridges, fabulous uh, suspension bridges, beautiful things, um, for which they built bike paths. I'm envisioning the bridge of San Luis Rey where it sways in the middle, but I, I think these are probably more substantial. These are very interesting bridges, beautifully architected. And 
uh, on the Shikoku side, there is a bicycle hotel, which is a very nice place to stay, to spend a night. And this is described in the book. That's how the book starts. Well, so this is, I said, uh, this is this is the first four books written in 2012. And well, I started published. Shikoku in 2012 when we came back. I started on a dare from my son. And I'm um, still, and I'm about maybe a quarter of the way through the fourth book, and so it's all the same story. It'll be one long novel when it's when it's all finished. Well, uh, Lawrence Durrell wrote the Alexandria Quartet, and you're going to write the Tokyo Quartet, it would seem. Well, right? yeah, Quartet. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe it'll be more than four. Well, let's talk a, a little bit about the book uh, without uh, you know, revealing, uh, you know, all all the details. You know, we don't want to slip any information in. That no, any spoilers, I guess they call it. You know, in media these days. So uh, this professor, which you tell me is not has no relationship to you whatsoever, a French uh, professor, probably at Baruch College in New York or some New York institution like that. He lives in... Uh, it's NYU, actually. It's, it's, NY, not stated. it's not stated, but it's meant it's to be NYU. NYU. So talk about this, a little bit about the professor and, and, and the, the relationship uh, with this young, uh, young woman who's a is a nurse and had been in one of his in one of his no, classes. No, she's a doctor. Now she's a doctor. No, she's an emergency room doctor. Oh, that's right. So uh, the uh, but to me, this is a book about uh, about loss, about grieving, and ultimately about love and uh, and mutual and mutual support, and uh, embraces a an older man uh, and a younger woman. And yet, at no point uh, does it seem tawdry, and the relationship uh, evolves mm. in a very natural and, and loving uh, fashion as they've both been, been hurt and, and both uh, need a little bit of succor, as we say. That's right. Uh, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad that it doesn't seem cheap. It's uh, a series of accidents. And in fact, the second book is the title is Serendipity. So this whole accidental approach to, to life and travel is, is continuous in the second book. And it's a series of, of fortuitous accidents that they, they, they recognize as, as potential to help themselves out of this. Uh, they happen to be in both traumatized and uh, they, they, find, um, they find support in each other and they also find a common interest, which is cycling and mm -hmm. Japan. And so the the Japanese cycling connection comes out in little pieces throughout the book, and in fact the book is a it's a travel log, or you might call it a novel log. So mm -hmm. it, it, the, most of the book is in fact is a verbatim recount of a of our cycle trip in uh, in Shikoku, and it um, has this uh, has a love story. It's a romance. It has a love story. Uh, layered onto it and it is in fact the introduction for the long series so it's the it's it sets up the relationship between them and it 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 feels supposed to feel i hope it feels like an adventure and so it, it continues in the other books each book starts with an, a trip uh the second book starts with a kayak trip on the loire and the third book starts with a kayak trip in papua new guinea and um, which you survived, you were not consumed. No, those are, those are all real trips. Right. So it's just a way. They're not of, still eating people in, in New Guinea, are they? Um, no one offered actually <laughs> to eat us. Were you, were you disappointed? <laughs> no, 
no, not that we've we've traveled a lot in Asia and uh, cannibalism was uh, cannibalism disappeared um, quite a long time ago. Okay. And the fourth book. The fourth book takes place in the Azores. Ah. And I was just well, just there. recently there. Yeah, I I went because I they end up in the Azores in the fourth book. And I uh, oh, so the couple will be together through the entire series. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a story of, the, of of this relationship. It's a it's it's a story of their adventures in love and in in life. Well, you know, what I found interesting is that the in the beginning, uh, not to say that she was the aggressor, but it almost is like her need was greater, and she forced the relationship to to begin. And again, I'm using strong words. But she encouraged it, shall we say. Uh, and then at, at some point, you kind of got up to where, or you, I keep saying it's you and you deny it, but this character, they found themselves, uh, it, it, the balance began to shift, and then ultimately they, they met at, at the same place. But they were different levels. Uh, he may have felt somewhat uh, uncomfortable because of the disparity in their age, which clearly she did not. Uh, she had lost both of her parents, although... I don't never sense that she was looking for a father, um, and and ultimately uh, this recognition of the disparity and how they would basically love each other as long as they could, as long as realistically, as long as as you were physically there, uh, you as I keep calling you the <laughs> the French professor. Uh, to me, he's David Tepfer, but uh, uh, nonetheless, uh, I I like that in terms of the construction of the novel. Uh, I, I could really feel that rhythm, and as I said, I was I, I was I was very impressed. And I'm not I don't, I don't read a lot of fiction. Uh, now the other thing that I I must uh, <laughs> I, I must raise Cain with you about is that uh, we're living in a city where there isn't a tremendous amount of high quality Japanese food, and yet the book makes me want to run out and, and get get Japanese food. Uh, I mean, for example, um, the trout were succulent, crunchy and salty on the outside. The lollipop on a skewer seemed to be made from their roe. It was pungent and salty, always eaten with gusto. The bamboo steamers contained a ceramic bowl holding a square patty of sticky rice and a light sauce topped with an exotic leaf and kale buds. The contents of the second brazier had cooked into a stew, and two eggs appeared for breaking into a bowl shaped like a large spoon and decorated with blue and white sectors radiating out from the center. The broken eggs were mixed, and they were instructed to dip the meat and vegetables from the stew into in the raw eggs. They were also served a simple shallow dish containing a, a metal grater and a large lump of pink rock salt. All right, David, so where can I get this meal? You go to the Ia. Onsen, which is in a very isolated and wild part of Shikoku. But if I if I want to have this meal in Paris, uh, I don't know. I think it would probably cost you more to get this meal in Paris than a round trip ticket <laughs> to Japan. Okay. So um, none of the fighting fish, and I'm going to die if I don't eat properly, right? The other way is to cook it yourself. Japanese uh -huh. food is very simple to cook. On the other hand, well, when I come for lunch, which I've invited myself to, and you've agreed to, <laughs> what are you going to cook for me? Uh, it depends what I find in the market. It's okay. all spontaneous. All spontaneous. Uh, the, one of the reasons for traveling in Japan, and particularly by bicycle, is the, the food and lodging in Japan are off-scale. 
and they can be very simple and very cheap. It can be a youth hostel where you meet all kinds of interesting people. It can be, uh, this is described, this meal described is from the Iya Onsen, which is definitely a not a youth hostel. Uh, you take a funicular down to the bottom of the canyon, it's hanging above a canyon, and you bathe out in an outdoor hot spring. But the, the, the meal, this meal and other meals are described as real meals. I have photographs of all of it. And uh, these are things you encounter in Japan. And our way was always to, to travel very simply and inexpensively, but then have a, an occasional splurge. And so the Iya Onsen on this trip was a, a splurge, and it is for this couple. And we arrived, uh, and they arrive uh, at the end of the day at, in darkness, uh, with no place to stay and nothing planned. And the Ionsen is something you reserve months in advance. But they walk in and the Japanese, being the Japanese, when they see a couple on bicycles, they make space for you. Wonderful. And they did. We had a room. It seems to me that there was something, I hate to use the word spiritual because I, I don't relate to that word. Uh, but uh, it seems to, to have impacted the, the relationship and the love. There was something tranquil about the setting that uh, this relationship wouldn't have happened in New York, wouldn't have happened in Chicago. That's a very good point. That's that, interesting. That you almost needed to be in a space like this. That's a very good to, point. To I liberate mean. the emotions and the constrictions that are built in, into human relationships. Yeah. Serenity is a very uh, important element in Japanese culture. And people uh, fight the, the, the conflict between the city and the countryside. And the countryside being serene and uh, measured and the city being, like all cities around the world, quite the opposite. And they start in, this starts in Kyoto, which is, of, of the Japanese cities, probably the most serene. And uh, once they get into the, the boonies, that's when things start to happen. Uh, that's when things become rich and it's this the Japanese serenity is very important it's the, it is the Japanese the basis for the Japanese aesthetic which has been largely bulldozed in the cities and uh, it's still there it's still there but you have to look for it when you get in the countryside then it just it becomes an overwhelming um, an overwhelming remedy for lots of things which which plague us in our in our current <coughs> lives and on a bicycle this all comes out, you would not get this in a car. You have to either travel by local transportation, which is very good in Japan, or something by foot, like in your pilgrimage, or by bicycle. And this causes a slowdown of this overly uh, abusive and rapid life we live in. And that's when people encounter each other. And traveling with someone under those circumstances is 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 the best way to, to, to form a relationship. and. In our relationships, we've made many, many trips because in the French system, we have long vacations and we made long trips with our son or just the two of us after he, he moved out, um, um, often in Asia, but not always in Asia. And these were the, the this was the solder. This was the thing that re, reignited uh, a romance that uh, lasted all those years, 50, 52 years. And... Um, the travel and the simple travel and bicycle travel is particularly enriching because it's there's a physical collaboration there you're 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 climbing on a bicycle you're keeping an eye on each other for for metabolic problems for physical problems and um 
the end of the day, you roll into some wonderful place to stay, and a few minutes later, you are in a yukata. Uh, the, the the it's the robe you wear. It's a like it's a kimono, a cotton kimono, and you you go back to nineteenth uh, century Japan in a few minutes, and you're sitting at a kotatsu, like the one we're sitting around right now, and it's nice and warm under there, and the room is chilly, and you're 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 having tea. And then you go to the bath, and the bath is at forty some degrees centigrade, and um, you cook, and that could last an hour. And then you put your yukata back on, and you go to 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 dine. And either you dine in your room if it's a higher class place, mm-hmm. or you dine very simply in a dining room with other people, almost always uh, sitting on tatami mats, low tables. And the meal, depending on how fancy it is, can go on for hours. Uh, these can be uh, life changing experiences. These meals. And even in their simple version, they're always really good and really inventive. And the Japanese uh, take pride in interpreting the seasons. Seasons are very important to Japanese. So we've always gone to Japan in the in the spring and beginning of April for the sakura for the for the the cherry blossoms, or in the fall for the leaves. And these are waves of change that that start in the south and move north in the spring. And in the weather forecast, they show you where the peak of the wave is. And so you can, if you're cycling or traveling, you can adjust yourself to follow the the wave from south to north and stay in the blooming sakura for for a month if you like. And then we did this also uh, a couple of times with the leaves, starting in the far north and moving south as the leaves are changing. So much of the diet uh, is composed of fish surrounded by by water. Is there a great uh, difference in in seasonal produce in, in the diet? Right, so the Japanese are changed. The, the the cooks, and the Japanese themselves interpret the seasons in their cooking, and these are often wild plants, but they're also uh, traditions. About every two weeks, there's a traditional thing you're supposed to eat throughout the year, and so this shows up in the restaurants. And if it's in, in the sakura time, then you will have cherry blossoms in the food, for instance. Or things that look like cherry blossoms, but are not. Not to be replicated in Washington D.C. in April. Uh, for the cherry blossoms, yes, but not for the not for the food. The serenity. Yeah, there's the serenity, and then there's this very close connection between the Japanese and the seasons. The Japanese culture and art is really keyed to the seasons, including the culinary arts. Well, uh, listeners, I must tell you that I'm sitting on a uh, a mat here, as uh, David has described looking at a panoramic photograph that he took of uh, Shikoku, Shikoku, uh, listening to uh, an American piano player emanating whose sounds are drifting from the adjacent studio, the Atelier de la Main d'Or. And I, I, I can't be here without thinking and remembering um, Becky Tepfer. Uh, David is an extremely lucky man to have had all the years that he shared with her. And and we were very lucky in to, to know her, uh, to love her, and, and to be welcomed with a smile that would light up the city of Paris all by itself uh, when you came in to see her. And in that, in that thought, uh, I think I mentioned before, uh, Mr. Guinness claims that uh, she has played Sister Sarah live more times than anyone else uh, in the world. And uh, I fancy myself as uh, Sky Masterson. And uh, Brother Sky uh, sang a, a lovely love song to, to Becky. So, Becky, this is for you. 
I've never been in love before, and all at once it's you, and you forevermore. I've never been in love before, I thought my heart was sure, I thought I knew the score. But this is wine, so very strange and strong. I'm full of foolish song, and out my song must pour. So please forgive this helpless haze I'm in. I've never really been in love before. Becky. David, thank you. And thank you for Becky, and thank you for Dam, and thank you for your time. It's a, it's a joy. Me too. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, and please share your comments and suggestions at Terrence at Paris-Expat.com. That's T-E-R-R-A-N-C-E at Paris-E-X-P-A-T.com. And visit Paris-Expat.com to sign up for my five weekly newsletters about the City of Light. Until next time, à bientôt à Paris.